This is Ranthony Tejada, defensive back. Welcome to XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. for some more XFL, welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 34th episode. A few days ago, the transfer of ownership of the XFL to the new ownership group of Danny Garcia, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Redbird Capital was completed. As a symbol of taking over the league, Garcia and The Rock placed images of keys on their social media accounts. The excitement of these new owners taking over the league spread throughout social media and on fan websites like Wildfire. Surely there are better times in store for the league. In this episode, you will hear two interviews. First, I will talk to Ranthony Tejada, a former New York Guardians defensive back. We will discuss Ranthony's football upbringing and his winding path that has taken him from one football opportunity to another. Second, I will speak to Mike Ellison, an XFLboard.com team reporter for the St. Louis Battlehawks. We discuss the XFL's new ownership group and break down the process the league may take to rehire staff and put players back on the field. Plus, Danny Garcia has promised an XFL that would be 24-7-365. What does she mean by that? Are you ready? As usual, we won't waste any time. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Ranthony Tejada to the podcast. Ranthony played defensive back for the New York Guardians this past XFL season. Welcome, Ranthony. Thank you. It's great to be here. Glad you guys had me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time uh, to be on the podcast. Now, you, uh, as I pointed out, you were a defensive back for the New York Guardians, uh, and you were drafted to the Guardians in the uh, regular XFL draft in the fourth yep. in the fourth phase. Uh, yep. What was it like to be drafted to the Guardians? You know, I had got the invite to the XFL draft right after I had got released from the Ottawa Red Blacks in the CFL. So, like, leading up to the draft and everything, it was just, you know, just a lot of anticipation or wondering, like, where, you know, I would if I would get drafted or if I wouldn't get drafted. And then I found out I had, like, a few connections with some of the coaches in the league. So that kind of gave me a little bit of, you know, you know that kind of, you know, relaxed me a little bit about the situation and then the day of the draft man I didn't I didn't end up getting picked until like the last round uh so of the like the DB selection part of the draft so I was you know I was on pins and needles and then I got that phone call and you know it was it was a pretty good feeling so you had to sweat it out for most of the draft until your name was called yep yep I was was actually the last DB taken on our team for the DB portion of the draft so that's how that went. That's how it went. Well, last but not least, of course, right? Yep, yep, exactly. So, I guess that was good for you because you uh, missed out on the NFL draft. Uh, you got uh, taken uh, as a undrafted free agent by Washington, didn't you? Yes, sir. Yeah. So I wasn't drafted, but as soon as the draft was over, the Redskins told me that they wanted to sign me and give me an opportunity to compete, and so. Uh, that was where I went when I got drafted, or whenever I got signed after college for the NFL. Right, exactly. So I mean, that that's another high point of your career for sure. But let's go back. Let's go back even further now. Uh, mm-hmm. You grew up in uh, Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Yes, sir. Yep. You went to Centennial High School. Yes, sir. Yep. I played football. Um, I played. I played football, baseball, and track. Um, I, I played baseball up until my, going into my junior year, and then I started getting football scholarships, so I was just like, let me just focus in on football and track, and that's what I did in high school. So you played DB for Centennial High School? Yes, sir. Yep. I played defensive back, and I, I returned, I returned kicks and punts and stuff too in high school. Yeah, it says here you scored three touchdowns on punt returns. Uh, I don't know if that was in your senior year or as a junior. 
Yep, yep. It was it was my junior and senior year. I played. I did both. I did return. So that's one of your specialties is taking the punt return and, and returning it to the house, right? Man, back in the day, yeah, I haven't been able. I have since I've been a professional. I haven't done any like returns on special teams or anything like that. But I've been able to, you know, show my versatility like as a gunner and stuff like that, and other positions on the on the special teams unit. So when you played for the Red Blacks, did you get a chance to return punts for them? Uh, no, I just was a. Uh, I played boundary corner and field corner, and I was a gunner. Okay. Now, after high school, you went to Texas Christian University, played for the Horned Frogs in Fort, yes, Worth, sir. in Fort Worth, Texas. Yes, sir. Yep. I signed with TCU out of high school, and um, that was where I played for the next uh, four and a half years. And I started, I was a three three year starter there. I would have been four years, but I tore my, tore my ACL my redshirt sophomore year of college. I started as a redshirt freshman. So with the choice of going to TCU, I'm reading into it that that was because it was close to home. Uh, yeah, it was close. It was close to home, and I knew I wanted my family and stuff to be able to come and watch me play. And I knew uh, I would have a good opportunity of playing pretty early there too if I just came in and competed well. A lot of colleges were scouting you at that time, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I had a, I had, I think I had like, I had over ten offers. They weren't like super big P5 offers, but I had I had a good number of schools that were interested in me. So you landed at TCU and played for the Horned Frogs. Yep. And you had a good career there. Yep, yep. I had a great career there. I played for some really good teams. You know, the first year of the college football playoffs, we were actually ranked really, really high. We thought we were going to have a pretty good opportunity, but they ended up putting Ohio State in over us. And then we ended up playing Ole Miss in the bowl game and won that, so... It was it was pretty – I had a pretty good career, I would say. So that was good enough for you to uh, be uh, considered for the NFL draft and yeah. signed as an undrafted free agent by Washington. Yep. So when you were signed, you went to the Washington rookie camp or to training camp? Yeah, yeah. So I got signed and, you know, I went through uh, rookie camp and went through OTAs and then training camp and the preseason. And I had a really good preseason. I had an interception – uh, and a few pass breakups, but you know, you know how it is sometimes in the NFL. You know, it comes down to a numbers thing, and it just it didn't work out. But I I had a really good experience with them, and I learned a lot from that. And you know, hopefully one day I can get back to that level. Yeah, they cut their roster down to fifty three, and you weren't uh, you didn't make the cut. Uh, yeah, uh, that's unfortunate. I'm you know I'm always sorry to hear that, or to sad to see that. Uh, where yeah. a, a young player is eager to go and ready to go, and it's just not a spot, right? Right, right, exactly. But that's that's just, you know, the game of football. You know, it's always – it's a business. So, you know, each team has to do what's best for their team and, you know, their their organization. So I never hold any grudges or anything like that. I just keep it moving, you know. I, I've had plenty of opportunities since then, so. Yeah, that's a good attitude. In fact, as a matter of fact, opportunities will come and go, um, as, as most players have, have told me. Now, in 2019, you joined the Ottawa Red Blacks for their season. Uh, you played in the preseason, and you didn't get much playing time, though, with the Red Blacks, did you? So I signed with the Red Blacks at the end of 2018, and then the 2019 season, I made it through rookie camp, the preseason, everything. I made the team, and I was on the practice squad for seven weeks. Right. And then I got released. Yeah, so I was on the practice roster for like six, seven weeks. And then quickly you were uh, you were put on the draft list, as you pointed out, for the XFL and drafted to the New York right. Guardians. Um, right. You appeared in all five of the Guardians games. And uh, well, how was what was that experience like for you? Man, the XFL was, man, it was a great experience. You know, I was with a group, great group of guys, a uh, great group of coaches that had lots of experience. Being in New York, New Jersey area was new to me because, you know, I'm from down south. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was cold, but I got adjusted to it pretty quick. Actually, when the season, when we first had started, like during training camp and stuff, I was, I, I worked myself up from the bottom of the depth chart to, end, uh, you know, by the end of the season and by the time the league got shut down, I was a starting nickel. So I ended up starting in our last three games, I believe. We played five games. Um, I ended up starting at nickel the last three games and started on every special team. So it was just a great experience. You know, I wish we could have been able to finish the season just to see, you know, what 
would have came about from that. But it was definitely a great experience. And the league was ran really well. It's just unfortunate that coronavirus, you know, happened. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's the most unfortunate thing about it. Because from what you said, you worked your way up into the roster and were getting more playing time as the season right. went on, right? Right, exactly. Well, wow. Exactly. And, and again, uh, I don't want to dwell on it, but it's it's quite sad that the season had to end when it did for you guys. Because you guys were just starting something. You were just getting something going, right? Yeah, yeah. We were, you know, we had built up some momentum and we were going into playing the number one team in the league, the Houston Roughnecks. And we thought, we thought we matched up really well with them and, you know, but you know, it's life. So you got to just, you got to move from it. You know, you gain a lot of experience from that and you take it to wherever you go next. And so that's what I'm trying to do. So I hear that the XFL season, despite being short, it did help you expand your skills and football knowledge, right? Yep, yep, it definitely did. I learned a lot. I uh, was able to take in a lot from uh, our coaching staff, and um, it was just a great experience. And, you know, anytime you can keep playing football, you know, anytime you can keep playing ball after you're out of college, especially on a high level, uh, that's really good. And that's what I've always prided myself on is just, you know, keeping my name out there and making sure that, you know, I'm not getting, you know, lost in the traction and just I'm playing, I'm still playing ball and supporting my family. So you're ready to join another team today if there was a spot available, right? <laughs> hey man, you know, I'm I'm still signed to Winnipeg, so that's that's where I'm at right now. Okay, so this year you signed to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the Grey Cup champions, and yep. the CFL tried to set up a uh COVID playing a season uh right. a bubble in Winnipeg, but then they just canceled the season a few days ago. Right, right, yep, that's unfortunate. And you heard about it online, or you had a conference call with the team to hear about it? Um, I mean, like, I've been hearing, you know, about them possibly, you know, not being able to have the season if they don't get the financial assistance. Um, And then, of course, yeah, I saw it the other day. We've seen it on social media, and then we got emails from the CFLPA in the league about the season being canceled. And so we just got to just, you know, just, figure out what's going on as the next few weeks and months pass by so everyone can make the best decision for them and their families. Right, of course. Now, if another opportunity came back, would you be able to take it or, or are you signed to the, still signed to the Bombers? Uh, well, right now I'm still signed to the Bombers. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're going to have to, the CFL in itself is probably going to have to figure out what they're going to do as far as people who have one-year contracts and stuff like that. But they haven't, you know, they haven't decided on anything. So as of right now, I'm still with the Bombers. Yeah, as of as of right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, what next? Uh, I mean, I'm just training, man. And, you know, whatever opportunity comes, I'll, I'm going to be ready for it. You know, whether that's with the CFL, whether that's with the NFL, with, or whenever the XFL decides to come back, you know, I'm just, I'm open to everything right now. I'm just, I'm just training, staying in shape. And, you know, if Winnipeg is where I'm going to be, is where I'm going to be. So you're just staying in shape, and uh, from what you told me earlier uh, in the conversation, you've got a date at the gym later today, right? Yep, yep. Got to yeah, I got to work out later on this evening. I'm staying in shape and making sure I'm ready for whatever whenever the season starts. Right, that's smart. Now, speaking of people that are in shape, what do you think about the Rock and Danny Garcia buying the XFL? I mean, I definitely think it's a good look for the league. It definitely brings you know a, you know a big star and uh, you know, just a, a credible name. It's going to be inter- interesting to see, like, what details they they bring about the league and when they plan on starting and how they plan on operating everything. Are they going to have a draft? How are they going to pick players? So, I mean, it's still a lot of – I'm sure it's a lot more details left to come. Yeah, we're kind of expecting more details to come, actually, on Friday. They actually did take control of the league. So, But everyone's excited about it. So, uh, I'm and I'm – hoping there's a chance for players like yourself to get back on the field and show your stuff. Yep, yep. There's definitely a lot of guys that, you know, still deserve opportunities to, you know, keep playing and supporting their family because this is a livelihood for a lot of guys. And, um, you know, whatever happens, whatever happens, happens. Right, of course. Now, uh, you've got a sporting family. Your brother Riley is in the college system? Yep, he plays for Baylor. He's starting corner for Baylor. And then my other younger, my youngest brother, he's a Division One AA athlete with Magny State. He plays defensive back as well. 
And Rowley plays defensive back. Yep. All three sons in your family are defensive backs. Yep, yep. All, all of us play defensive back. So when you played football as a family, who played uh, quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> Man, when we used to, it used to get real rough back in the day. <laughs> so we just we kind of switched, switched positions, all of us. <laughs> well, that's funny. I have a big family, so we'd have all the cousins and everybody playing backyard football. I've met your dad, Keith, online. Was he a footballer too? Yeah, he played. He played football at Louisiana Tech back in the eighties. Um, he played wide receiver, though. He did not play DB. All oh, right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's why you're such a good DB because you had to cover your dad when you played football. <laughs> Yeah, man, he he was definitely a big part of my life and uh, taught me the game. Uh, was my coach growing up through little league and everything, and I appreciate all the sacrifices he's made. So he's a great guy. Yeah, he strikes me as a, a pretty great guy as well. Now I'd like to wish mm-hmm. all the best to your family and uh, say hello to your father Keith when you talk to him. Oh yeah, for sure. I'll definitely let him know that I talked to you guys. So thanks for coming today, and I'd like to point out that people can follow you on Twitter uh, yep. at rtahada, R-T-E-X-A-D-A on Twitter. Yep. They can also follow me on Instagram at Issa, I-S-S-A underscore rant, R-A-N-T, bro, B-R-O. All right. Okay, so Instagram and Twitter. So follow Anthony and uh, – see what's going on with his uh, career and keep tabs with uh, his progress. Thanks for Anthony. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope to see you on the field real soon. Oh yeah. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'd like to welcome Mike Ellison to the podcast. Now Mike is a writer for XFL board and he covers the St. Louis Battlehawks. Welcome Mike. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, we had you. Actually, I looked it up. Uh, you were on this podcast back in February on the, on the second week of the season. And we were talking yeah. about the XFL kicking off and how fantastic that was, weren't we? Yeah, times certainly have changed since then. Yeah, exactly. Times have changed. We never expected this to happen or any of this to happen, did we? No, we, we might be getting ready for the draft right now, but uh, getting ready for hopefully another season. Wouldn't that be great if we were talking about the draft? Yeah. Well, I'm sure uh, we should. We, we won't dwell on that because it's it's obvious uh, that things have changed. Now, of course, the XFL has changed hands recently. We'll talk about that. So the XFL auction results came in a few weeks ago, and then just yesterday it was confirmed that The Rock, Danny Garcia – and Redbird Capital have now officially taken ownership of the league. Now, who expected that group to buy this league? Yeah, I. if, if anybody had them on their radar, props to them. I know they, they certainly weren't on my radar as number one buyers to come in, but certainly, certainly not mad about it. Definitely actually pretty happy about the results having uh, such a strong, strong group coming in with a lot of potential to really carry this league to where it deserves to be. Yeah, you know, that's that's definitely uh, the overall reaction from people is they're very happy that this group has taken over. It's actually quite universal, I find. Now, why, why is that reaction so strong? Yeah, I think you have a couple things at play there. So, I mean, uh, you've got the re- name recognition with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, Danny Garcia. You kind of start to look at their resume and you, you realize the – the things they do really are successful out in the entertainment industry and in the sporting industry. Uh, both uh, Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia, their careers are pretty tied close together. They they have their production company, Seven Bucks Production. Uh, Danny Garcia has been The Rock's agent. They do a lot of movies together, a lot of their big movies like uh, Baywatch, Jumanji, uh, The New Fast and Furious with The Rock as the lead role. So, They've been really close together. They have a lot of experience uh, really driving just different aspects of, of the industry. In terms of entertainment, The Rock's been in WWE with those ties again to Vince McMahon and also dabbled in football himself. So a lot of connections on, on different points, and you can kind of start to see where this new ownership group might 
lean and kind of how they'll put their own twist on the new league. There's a lot to be taken in. And it was it was a surprise to, to have these folks being uh, named as the successors to uh, Vince McMahon ownership. It was a surprise. And for me, it was a pleasant surprise. Uh, and they only paid $15 million for the league, which some people thought was a bargain. Uh, but today, I noticed Sportico uh, put out an article that mentioned that they had to agree to assume a debt of $9.2 million, which they did, apparently. So the price tag uh, was not 15 it was 15 plus 9.2, which is probably still a bargain, right? Yeah, yeah, still in that low $20 million range. And for what, for what the XFL was producing, the amount of momentum it had, uh, it really does seem seem like it could be a bargain. But then again, you have to think of all the momentum lost and all of the excitement, the fan bases, the sponsorships, everybody that was really interested in the league to have it kind of cut off and nobody really gets to see what it could become and all that potential. Uh, definitely probably hurt that price tag if Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon really tried to sell after one full season. I'm sure he could have gotten a lot more, but starting from midway scratch, definitely not scratch, uh, probably hurts what that sale price could have ended up being. Yeah, I think you're right about that for sure. And another thing that was pointed out to me recently was that the $15 million wasn't really a price tag as much as it was a buy-in amount and the, uh, so to speak, using a poker term. And there's going to be a lot more money that needs to be put on the table to get this thing going, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's almost almost like you're paying for the brand right now and it's it still has those operational pieces that need put together to really turn it into a... Uh, successful revenue-producing product. Now, the Danny Garcia, that's a name that I was not wholly familiar with up until a few weeks ago. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, she wasn't really on my radar. No, The Rock was. And, and of course, she's the brains or the genius behind The Rock, isn't she? Yeah, it, it really seems like that. She's been a, a name that everybody's been Googling of lately, getting familiar with. It's been great. She's also been pretty active on Twitter as well. Uh, welcoming kind of the league back into into fruition. So I mean, she's she's really taken this taken this role by storm in this ownership role. There's been interviews and comments from Dwayne where it's it's come out and said that Danny was the real driver behind this deal. Once it came up for auction, she was the one who kind of spearheaded it and said, "Hey, let's go after this." And she's kind of credited with credited with getting this off the ground and going. So. Uh, excited to have someone who's excited about the league really leading the charge now. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic that she's so excited about the league. And admit, and one of the things we learned about her is that she uh, has been an XFL fan from the beginning. That was yeah. interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you, you'd imagine there'd be some sort of relationship between Danny Garcia, Dwayne Johnson, and Vince McMahon to begin with, not necessarily coming together with the deal, but uh, they probably have a relationship going back. And so when they saw Vince was kicking off the league again in 2020. They probably tuned into that as well, and it really seems like uh, Danny Garcia was was connected with that. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see that now. Uh, now, Danny Garcia, I have to admit, I I'm, I'm actually a fan of Danny Garcia right now. And uh, in producing this podcast, I was talking to a, a acquaintance of mine, a, a friend of mine, and they said, "Well, are you going to get The Rock on your podcast?" And I'm like. Well, I never thought of that. <laughs> but then I said... If you can pull those strings, that would be impressive. Yeah, but then I said, you know, I talking to The Rock would be great, but I'd like to talk to Danny Garcia because I'd like to learn more about what's going on or what, what the XFL is going to be, uh, what she has planned for the XFL. And I think she yeah. is the, would be the one to talk to. Although talking to The Rock would be fantastic as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, pr pretty exciting. He's He's really active on social media as well, and he's... He's really motivating and engages really well with his fan base. So kind of nice to have that, seeing it from both both pieces of this ownership group. Yeah, he actually uh, Instagrammed and tweeted something out about uh, a few years ago about playing for the CFL and 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 when he was in Vancouver, filming Vancouver, Canada, filming a, filming a movie, and he talked about his CFL career and how it helped him and uh, gave props to his coach uh, from the time as well, Wally Bono, which was cool. Yeah, and, and people might be familiar with it at this point after 
looking both of these people up, but I think that's the the, the CFL is kind of his his journey and what helped establish Seven Bucks Production because after after he didn't make it through the CFL and get that big football career, he said he left left that time with just seven bucks in his pocket, and that's that's kind of the legacy behind the name Seven Bucks uh, Productions for them. So they have a lot a lot of ties, full circle for them to really get back to the XFL professional football, and really he's turned everything he's touched into gold since then. So happy to happy to have those hands on board. Another cool thing that they did uh, yesterday when they when they announced that they had taken ownership of the XFL, they they um, sent out pictures uh, matching photos or graphics of the XFL logo with a key. And if you looked closely, yeah. it had their their silhouette on the key, didn't it? Yeah, those those were those were a nice touch. Uh, really really personal about it to have their have their silhouettes inside their their ownership keys, kind of the the keys of the kingdom and see uh see what's going to happen going forward with them. Yeah, it was a nice touch for sure. Now Danny has said in in more than one interview that she thinks the XFL needs to be 24/7 365 and not just a spring league. Now what does she really mean about that? Yeah, I I think you got a couple things at play here. So I think in in terms of 24/7 365 you can kind of lump it in with the idea of of expansion. So both both of those things uh, kind of run hand in hand, and it's it's not necessarily expansion, which she's alluding to with more teams going from eight to ten, twelve, or fourteen. I think it's I think it's really expanding beyond that spring football season to what you were getting at that twenty four seven three sixty five. So expanding beyond the spring into more production based things, maybe leveraging their seven bucks production company to produce more material. And I think. Uh, another XFL board writer, Greg Parks, had a good article about it, kind of moving that speculation away from expansion into more teams or expanding into more XFL year-round with more content. So I, I think that's a that's a really good take on it there. Yeah, Greg Parks actually noticed that uh, was on was on that from the beginning. Uh, a lot of people weren't on that. They immediately went to ex- league ex- league expansion, which meant more teams. And in fact, there was a whole lot of, on social media, there was a whole lot of lobbying of different, uh, people and places lobbying for expansion to different markets. Uh, for example, San Diego. Yeah. I saw San Diego in that mix. I saw Alabama in that mix as well. So I will say on Twitter, I, I did a little bit thinking expansion could mean uh, a bigger XFL, uh, team base, but kind of looking at it, uh, taking a second to look at it, you really see that uh, she's kind of coming coming from it from that production standpoint, saying bigger in uh, different mediums, expanding beyond the field, which is which is really exciting to see as well. So, uh, good catch by Greg. I think I think as as fans and as writers, you re- you really want to see it grow in terms of teams. You want them to come to your hometown. A lot of people are lobbying for them either with either with big college football bases. Maybe they had a team from the AAF. Uh, a lot of people really want a football team in their hometowns, and I think that's that's again a, a conversation for future. But it's it's always fun to talk about. I will say, yeah, it is fun to talk about. Now, when uh, when the expansion conversation was carrying on earlier this week, I actually contacted somebody that's close to the league, and I and I said, how would, would there be, even be a thought of expanding the size of the league or the amount of teams at this point in time? And I was told that it would be ridiculous. Uh, for them to even think about that right now, but in the future, that that obviously is on the table, because expanding yeah. expanding into certain markets might actually be uh, something the league wants to do in the future. For sure, for sure. There's there's definitely opportunity once once you get your legs back under you as the league really show that it's a it's a sustainable product. Right now, you've had spring football leagues uh, several times now last half a season, so. I think before you get too big, you want to make sure the foundation can support it and that you can kind of support the times as well with the looming COVID-19 pandemic and trying to trying to really make sure you can get a league established before you try to get too big. Exactly. Uh, Danny was talking about expanding the, the media footprint and something that we uh, mentioned in last week's podcast is at near the very end is we said, Maybe there are production crews actually in place right now filming what is going on at this very moment. 
In other words, starting the new XFL 3.0 documentary and putting that, uh, uh, that production has already begun. Uh, what do you think of that idea? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty on board with that as well. I heard it in the podcast. I kind of put together some thoughts on Twitter of what I would like to see. Maybe like a shot of uh, Danny Garcia and Dwayne The Rock Johnson in a, in a conference room together, kind of, kind of elaborating on maybe we should really go after the XFL, really bringing up the hype and then, Kind of a nice episode of them not shaking hands, but uh, giving air high fives about signing the deal, which is today, and then all the all the aspects that come together through now and first kick. I think that would be that would be a really interesting product and in how how they could spin it. So I mean, I I see content flowing. Hopefully they do as well, and uh, it'd be a nice teaser before even the season kicks off to have have some uh, have some fresh content. Yeah, don't don't you think that having having something like that on on Netflix or HBO Max or or another platform would actually draw people into closer to the league uh, in uh, prior to the league actually kicking off, it would actually build your fan base in a positive way. Uh, with fans of The Rock, would actually be on board with some of that. Yeah, absolutely. You have you have The Rock pitching it on Twitter or Instagram to his millions upon millions of followers, people are going to tune in to check it out. And I think a platform like Netflix, if you if you create an engaging enough show, I know there was one, I, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's it's about F1 racing. And it's it's really well produced. And like, I wasn't into F1 racing before, but I watched the series and now I'm pretty into F1 racing. So you can kind of do that same thing with XF football. I think you can start building a fan base before you even uh, kick off beyond what already exists in the fan base. Precisely, and I, I believe that's something that Danny Garcia has planned. Uh, one other thing about Danny Garcia that I've noticed is that she is player-friendly. She seems to be rooting for bringing back the league for the players, and so is The Rock, too. The Rock tweeted about that, so uh, I like that. I like that that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, they recognize, one, it's an, it's an opportunity for them, so they, they see a good business opportunity. That's why they got into it. But there's also a lot of people that it can impact. You've got uh, coaches who are who are trying to establish themselves as coaches or stick with coaching, maybe a, a slower pace than the NFL. And then you've got players who either uh, didn't get picked up out of college, uh, weren't able to stick around practice squads or uh, reserve squads in the NFL, maybe guys coming over from the CFL. So there, there's a lot of people that are looking for their opportunity in the XFL and I mean, Danny Garcia and Dwayne The Rock Johnson are, are going to be the people that bring that to them at this point. So uh, a lot of good is coming from it as well. You know, a lot of players are watching this and, and with anticipation and with some sort of uh, hope, hope that they uh, would be able to uh, get back on the playing field uh, sooner than later. Now, there's been also a lot of ex-previous XFL staff also watching with the similar anticipation then there's been talk about previous XFL staff being hired back, but nothing has happened. And one pathetic rumor online uh, a couple days ago was how ex-staff are currently contacting the league to offer their services. Well, yeah, it seems likely. Hardly a news headline. I wonder when staff will start getting asked to come back. Yeah, you're kind of, it'd be kind of curious to think, were, were they in talks with people before things got sealed on a Friday? I, I don't know if there's any legal you're allowed to start talking about potential jobs, but uh, I'm sure the these are wheels that this new ownership group is going to want to get spinning as fast as they can. Whether or not they're going to start football this fall, this spring, or even in 2022, I think they really want to they want to get up to speed while one this talent is still available. Uh, really, one pay homage to them for what they were able to do for the league the first time around. Uh, but uh, really opportunity to really bring experts back and not have to figure it out again. I think that would be, one, a good token of kind of appreciation, and two, really smart on their part and beneficial on their part is that you have people who already know what to do. Jeffrey Pollack was hired, the league president. He was hired first, and then he hired all the team presidents, and then all those team presidents, they hired staff below them. And so when it comes to bringing people back in the teams, you'd think the team presidents would know who they want back and who they who, who they need to have to come back. So they have the, the line on that. So Pollock probably needs to hire the team presidents back first, doesn't he? 
Yeah, I, I think that would be a an obvious first start if it's if it's something that they're able to mutually agree upon. Uh, and being that talent is still available, I actually reached out to one of the team presidents this week, and at this at earlier in the week they hadn't heard anything yet from the league, so uh, they were they were still kind of in the situation of us with no real insight to offer. But even late this week and today, it was announced that uh, the DC Defenders team president Eric Moses has uh, assumed a new position as uh, an executive at a national super speedway for auto racing, and so that's that's one team president that's likely off the table and would need resailed from either internally or externally as someone completely new to the XFL. So out of 18 presidents, let's say it's likely that uh, uh, four or five will come back and the remainder will have gone somewhere else, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that'd be, that'd be a nice, a nice mix to have back in, back in place. And so I think it's, it's something that's going to be neat. That's going to need to be evaluated as how many can we get back? Uh, and then what do you do about the other teams? So, I think you have to be also conscious of some of these team presidents, if they come back, they could hit the ground running and really uh, pull their teams forward a lot faster than a team that has a new team president who's trying to figure out the whole operational basis of it as well. So I think that's going to be an, an interesting balance as the as the league restaffs, as if, say, just by chance, everybody from the Tampa Bay Vipers can come back and the, the Dallas Renegades have a lot of people that have taken opportunities elsewhere. would be a, a decent imbalance that might need somehow balanced out or some time for uh, teams who have lost people to really build up their staff and kind of get clicking again. Yeah, when the original XFL was staffed, they actually took a long time to do it. And it was a lot of thought and a lot of effort put into some of the hires. I guess it depends on when the XFL plans to hit the field again uh, is uh, how long they have to do this task, whether they have a long time or a short time. I think that'll depend on how they do it. Jeffrey Pollock has never left the XFL. He stayed on, and he's still there. Actually, and I don't know whether he'll stay there. I have had words with him, and he's actually quite, he seems to be quite uh, uh, ready to continue on with the XFL. He's he's quite proud of the league and what the league accomplished, and he wants to, he, he thinks that his job is not done. He still has more work to do. He has a handle on which team presidents that he might want back, and, and they're, I mean, I just put this out there. Maybe some of them he doesn't want back. That could be a possibility as well. Yeah, that's that's certainly a possibility. And and of what's still standing in the XFL today, Jeffrey Pollock's probably one of the the greatest assets on this point. Who really he's been connected with it since uh, February of 2019 when he joined the XFL, and and since then he's been on board. He's overseen the bankruptcy process and still been with it today. So he he kind of knows who left what slots and kind of what what the results were while people were in those positions. So he can say, yeah, we need to bring X, Y, and Z back to really help leverage us before. And you might even see somebody who is in one role bump up a role since they have that experience and insight that can be really leveraged. So uh, definitely one of one of the assets at this point. And I mean, that, that hiring point uh, in my most recent article was just about the time it took to staff the league. So they hired Oliver Luck. They hired him in June of 2018, uh, and the hiring process for coaches went on through May 2019. So uh, a pretty lengthy process as as it took to get pieces in place. But uh, I also think that could be a leverage point is the initial XFL uh, 2.0. It really took its time getting going, made sure the appropriate pieces were in place. So probably a lot of that legwork is already complete. So it, it could certainly move faster this time around. Yeah, you're right. It would move faster because of, as you pointed out, that the the legwork that was done the last time around. Uh, yeah, the hiring of coaches took longer than they expected. Uh, Luck actually came out and said the coaches would be hired by a certain date, and then he missed that date by about three or four months. So um, all all's well that ends well because they ended up getting a fantastic group of head coaches and coaching staff underneath them. Uh, with the XFL coming back at some point in time, they actually have a, a short time to get ready or a long time to get ready, depending on which date they choose. Don't, isn't that true? Yeah, that, that's certainly. I, and I kind of weighed what the initial timeline was and, and kind of what I felt were reasonable targets to kind of re-hit some of those benchmarks. So, again, you have to staff the league. You need to recruit players. And then what are teams going to look like? Are you going to redraft from the ground up? Or are you going to try to slot players around their different team or their original teams? That brings in the differences of, well, what if half our guys left? 
And what if all uh, another team's guys stayed? So you're going to have that imbalance of teams. So again, variables at play, and then you have training camps and kickoffs. And I mean, I, I put two estimates together, and I think if they wanted to rush it, maybe Christmas this year they could put a league together uh, with enough pieces in place to not fall flat. So if I'd be worried if they tried to shoot for like October or November, I I just don't see as enough development time for. Uh, getting all the positions in place, making sure the league can support it, and then getting all the players in. So uh, December is my conservative estimate. I think if if they took their time, uh, maybe a, a week after, two weeks after the initial kickoff of 2020, I could see them kicking off around February 20th, 2021. So I think that gives them enough time to uh, put the put the pieces in place to really have success. And I think the the worst thing they could do in my mind would be rush it, not have the operational pieces in place, and then it kind of crumbles underneath itself. And so that would be my biggest concern about a league this fall. Some people have been talking about bringing the league back this fall because of the loss of college football. I'm not really big on that either. I don't think it could be done. I could be wrong. I I would happily be wrong on this one. Uh, If if we can have successful XFL football this fall and it, it builds on itself and can really take off, then I'd be the first person to say I was wrong, and I'm happy about it. But February 2021, I see as more realistic. And so with the pandemic and college football potentially moving to the spring, I could see the XFL really wanting to take their time, get everything in place, make sure they have the safety protocols, make sure uh, they can not have another uh, issue derail the season, though not many people were predicting the pandemic. But I think if they if they took their time, they they really could get it right and not not have as many things at risk to derail them once again. The spring of 2021, it really sounds like the the spot where they're going to hit or, or head for. And I'm only saying that because I know that that was actually a plan that was put into place and uh, led by Jeffrey Pollock in the XFL after the XFL faced bankruptcy. Uh, they put this plan together to play the league in February 2021 in a bubble in Houston. That was actually a selling point for the XFL. Now, that plan is out there. I guess it remains to be seen whether the new ownership group will actually go with a plan like that or whether they'll decide that we're going to do something different. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think I think enough pieces, like you said, if, if they've got that plan together, that's that's really, really good news, especially as an ownership group to say, okay, like if we need to pull this off, we could. Uh, and again, that, that's almost similar to how they did training camp the first time around. All eight teams were in Houston uh, and every, everybody was there. So there's, there's a shell that already exists for how it operationally took place. And again, uh, I'm, I'm big on those operational hurdles and that's, that's one that's already checked off the list. So I think that's a huge opportunity, but then again, you have to worry about fan bases. And I, if you if you're worried about somebody from Tampa Bay rooting on the Tampa Bay Vipers who only play in Houston, I, I think that's a that's a risk as well as you're trying to grow fan bases. Can can enough fans get behind teams they're not fans of yet? Uh, that's that's probably a pretty important question to to get people to care about season two if that were to happen down the line. Yeah, that's always been the question because uh, you're excluding the fans. Uh, in the stadium. Uh, and of course, that was a big part of XFL uh, last uh, spring was the in-house bands in, in, in most in some markets, for sure. And I know other markets struggled, but they were building. They were building a fan base. Now, with with no fans in the stands and the team and your home team playing in a totally different state, can the fans get on board? Well, maybe the key to having that being successful is the production machine that Danny Garcia and the rock bring to the league. Yeah. Yeah, certainly that they could, they could kind of hedge their bet on getting enough TV ratings, get enough viewers on different TV shows or docu-series, something like a hard knocks version in the XFL. They could certainly go that route and hope to build enough uh, through those uh, virtual and electronic means uh, absolutely, but you kind of you won't have those stories like the St. Louis Baldahawks who are fighting to open up more seats to really what they were calling fill the dome, and uh, they were kind of trailblazing it. And then in that case, you get people who are in St. Louis who say, "Oh, look at all these people excited! I'm going to get excited about this too." And I think once once that ball started rolling, it got momentum downhill, and it was 
it was lively in St. Louis. So I think that's that's something that's going to be missed in 2021. Probably regardless if they choose a bubble or not, I don't I don't see I don't foresee filling filling the dome as a, a reasonable target in the spring. You're absolutely right. So the only uh, hope that we have is that the production of uh, Danny Garcia and the Rock uh, replace fan enthusiasm with enthusiasm in in a streaming program online. Yeah, and kind of. As, as you talk through all these variables, you can kind of see why that $15 million, low $20 million price tag really happened. It's because this path forward, there's, there's still a lot at play. And even if you can get it back off the ground, can it, can it really stick with all that's going on uh, around the country and around the world? So really, really time will tell what, what they see as the best path forward. You know, it's uh, the enthusiasm of the, the new owners uh, is uh, quite, uh, intoxicating i think a lot of people are following it for good reasons uh and and very hopeful that the league is will succeed under this new ownership group and there's a lot of reasons to believe that so uh don't get me wrong i'm not being negative about it but i'm just saying that that's what's occurring right now is people are actually quite excited which is yeah cool to see yeah absolutely with the cfl season also being canceled there's a whole lot of players that are waiting to have a playing opportunity. How do you think this will affect the possible return of the XFL? I mean, not to say it's, it's a good thing for the XFL. Obviously, it's, it's sad and hard for all those, all those players and coaches and fans uh, for the CFL having their season already cut off this year. But uh, for those players, they're, they're still hungry about one playing football, many trying to reach the NFL. So they'll, they'll, be, they'll be hungry to try to join the XFL. So it, it potentially opens up that player pool to bring in some of that talent been playing professional football in Canada with that experience and uh, good conditioning as well. So you, you can kind of worry some of those guys from the XFL, maybe they weren't anticipating the XFL coming back uh, and they thought maybe their professional football careers might've ended. Did they keep their conditioning up? Are they still in football shape? And I think certainly seeing on Twitter, lots of, lots of guys have taken to Twitter sharing their uh, film that they have of themselves. So, I wouldn't doubt a lot of guys are still in really good football shape, but uh, having having a bigger pool to keep that talent level high in the XFL uh, is is a benefit. Yeah, so the talent pool is still quite big and quite deep. So it just means that there there's a chance there'll be more players that are looking for a job. Uh, maybe some more of the talent pool might actually grow. It might actually be a little deeper. Uh, although I'm actually of the belief it was already deep enough. There's already a lot of great players out there. Um, yeah, a lot of great guys in the XFL who didn't make it the first time around that want to make it again. You've got uh, all the strife with NCAA football. A lot of guys, uh, their seasons might be over. We'll, we'll see what they're able to come up with in the spring. So I think right right now the XFL might have a have a really big player pool if they can get it safely put together. Yeah, for sure. You covered former Battlehawk star quarterback Jordan Tamu, and he's in the Kansas City Chiefs training camp. Now, he was one of those guys that was looking for a starting job, and he's not going to get that with the Kansas City Chiefs, but how is he doing? Yeah, so reports out of Chiefs training camp have been pretty positive around uh, Jordan Tamu, and like you said, I don't think he's going to be the starter. They have a guy named Patrick Mahomes who's getting paid a few hundred million dollars to do that, so uh, a backup role in learning from a guy like uh, Patrick Mahomes would be a, a great opportunity for Jordan Thomas. So I think right now he'd be he'd be looking at third string opportunity. I think they have Chad Henney as the original backup to Mahomes. And they said Henney was there for Alex Smith as well. And he's he's also credited with helping uh, Mahomes develop. So if, if you can have that good veteran on the bench to both help Mahomes and help Tamu, I think it could be a, a really perfect spot for Jordan to really develop into uh, an NFL potentially starting caliber player. So uh, he's been getting praise from uh, backup quarterback Chad Henney and head coach Andy Reid. So they've been they've been praising his his work ethic, uh, really acknowledging his talent. They can see he's developed in the XFL after not making it uh, during his time at Old Miss when he tried to get drafted. So I think it's it's looking good good for him. He's at least impressing so far in training camp, catching the eye of the head coach uh, and the backup quarterback right now. So the fact that Jordan Tamu is is there and he's even being considered for the third string, 
uh, is quite a feat, especially with the current staff that the Chiefs have, right? Absolutely. And I think uh, we, we saw him put on pretty exciting displays in the XFL. I'll even say watching the, the Battlehawks closely, I never, I never thought they let him loose. They really, they really stuck to a run game. And I thought Tamu had a lot more to show us in the XFL. And I'm sad we didn't get to see it. Uh, I'd like to see him really air it out a lot some game, but uh, we'll see what happens in the NFL with him as, as he hopefully gets his shot. Yeah, he'll get his shot, but he won't get as much playing time. He'll get development time is what you pointed out. Yeah, two, two, three years maybe as a third stringer and then find a nice backup gig. Don't hope for an injury, but can take advantage of an injury, and hopefully he can see himself a career in the NFL. Yeah, I could see that. It takes a lot. It goes to show how talented and how much luck you might need to actually become a starter in the NFL, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cards, cards need to fall in your favor. Yeah, isn't that strange? Well, it's been nice talking with you, Mike. I'd like to uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, Mark. So people can follow you online. Uh, you you write for XFLboard.com. And on Twitter, your account is at MikeThingsUp. Absolutely. People can shoot me a message there and engage in conversation. I'm on, I'm on most of the day and so happy to, happy to talk to folks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks again to my guests, Ranthony Tejada and Mike Ellison. Don't forget to follow these folks on Twitter. You won't be disappointed. I wish everyone and their families good health and well-being. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews, and you're welcome to come back next time where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Mm-hmm.